Welcome to the Policy Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Patrice, writer, political science master's graduate, and dirty martini enthusiast. This podcast is dedicated to unpacking social, political, economic, and environmental issues as they relate specifically to policy from both regional and global perspectives with the simple goal of discussing solutions and systems that put people before politics. Fair warning, sometimes the content is intense and we drop some F-bombs. Thanks for listening in and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to part three of Policy and Economics with myself and Dr. Andrew Compton. If you have listened to part one and part two and you are now on to part three, if you've listened to them all the way through, kudos to you. Um, We are happy that you have found this valuable enough to come back for part three. Um, And we want to give a special shout out to Dr. Andrew Compton for coming onto the show, not only giving of his um, vacation time, but giving of himself in the way of um, all of this information that he's worked so hard to attain, making it accessible not only to the show, but to, uh, to those of us who are interested in something that plays such a massive role in our everyday lives, but don't necessarily have the luxury of putting that at the forefront of the things that we constantly are thinking about when we are balancing work and families and, um, you know, personal interests. So, um, I'm just so thankful. He has been such a great example of what it is that this podcast is trying to, um, bring forward into your audio experience, bring forward into your life. Um, trying to make the things around us that are so complex and so complicated, a little bit easier and more accessible, a little bit more palatable for the average person who, sees the problems, doesn't understand the problems, wants to be part of the solution, but doesn't necessarily have the luxury of allocating hours on end to to thinking about these problems, but still wants to be part of the conversation. So we are so thankful that he's um, given us this opportunity to pick his brain, and uh, we hope that you've really enjoyed this show. Um, This is part three, so again, I'm going to bring you the um, remainder of our conversation. We're going to just jump straight into it. Um, after this episode, we are going to be jumping into a little bit of um, foreign policy way of looking of um, way of looking of way of looking at um, some of the issues that other countries now other countries. I'm currently recording in Germany. Um, I am an American citizen, so when I say other countries, I am looking at policy outside of the United States. Um, we are going to be looking at what other countries are doing to solve problems that we see here in the United States, but what other countries are doing to tackle them and look at whether or not they're working. So we will be taking on one of those after this um, kind of three-part series has totally launched. And then after that, for those of you who have made it this far into the podcast, you're going to find that we have a pretty substantial announcement that we are making here on the blog and podcast. So you're going to want to stay tuned um, because we have some very big information headed your way. All right, here we go with the conversation. Hope you enjoy and we will see you during our next episode. Asking about gas prices. Um, Part of that comes from the fact that Russia is one of the largest producers of petroleum. All right. so if we're implementing sanctions on them, right. then that's going to have an effect on the global market for oil. Okay. And a lot of countries have cut them off, which means there's a big impact right. on the price of oil. Now, 
There were also questions. I think oil prices oil prices are looking like they're going to come down soon. Oh, good, because they that punches you in the face every time I try to put money. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, know. I went from paying like forty five dollars to seventy five dollars for a gallon, like, like almost overnight. Of gas. Right. Yeah. So part of that was driven by speculation because there was a certain degree of uncertainty right. about what the effect of these sanctions would be, okay. and also what would Russia do. Okay. Right? If suddenly they like start attacking NATO nations, oh, right. they, like $8 a gallon might, like eight- It could skyrocket you, above yeah, that, yeah. For you, like $8 might sound like huge, but like if there's war- War time is unprecedented. Yeah. That's, then yeah. we're looking at like- Ration card, basically. You better use the bike lane that we planned four or five years ago. Yeah. Right. So anytime there's geopolitical conflict, you're probably going to experience higher oil, gas prices at right. the pump. Um, in the U.S., we have very low oil prices, so we do benefit from not bearing the burden quite as much. Right, and I was about to ask that because I know that we've got listeners who are going to hear this and they're going to be like, but we're major producers of oil too. Why is mine going up? Why am I not exempt from what the globe is experiencing? Because we trade with each other. So in under the World Trade Organization and the way global trade works, you will seek out the buyer who pays you the most. Okay. And we don't have any rules preventing preventing you know, that Texaco from doing that or right. Exxon Mobil. Right. They can sell to whoever they want. Right. If Texaco wants to sell to a country that's willing to pay more per barrel, they're going to sell to that country because they benefit from that. Yeah. And we don't prevent that from happening. Right. It's not so, like a oh now that we're at war or there is the the hint of war or the yeah. you know the air of conflict, Texaco is required to provide to Americans, they can yeah, provide that, to the payer. Yeah, that is not a thing right now. Okay. So we could probably, domestically, if we cut ourselves off, we could probably meet our needs. But that's not how it But that's do. not how it works. Yeah. Right. So let's say Europe decides they're going to limit the flow of oil. Or Japan decides they're not buying Russian oil anymore. Right. Well, it had to come from somewhere. Yeah. And that means that there's increased demand for every other producer of oil. And we're not taking Russian oil either. Right. So we also have to find it right. from another source. Right. If we were buying Russian oil to begin with, that's because it was the cheapest. Right. Now it's not an option, so we have to go to the second cheapest. Yeah. But everyone's doing that. Right. So the price rises as a result. Okay. Just because of how global trade works. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I think... That's one of those questions that we've gotten is, and, and that's where, you know, these conversations like, you know, Policy Out Loud is really working to like create a tool where it makes these conversations that are so complex accessible to the people that may not necessarily know how to approach these conversations. But we, and that's why having these conversations are so important because it is so complex. Like we're, we're oftentimes measuring our experience here on earth in relationship to what's happening around us, but it's so much bigger than that. So how do we, you know, address things like, well, like all the things that we're talking about, you know, it's, it's hard to, to reconcile when you're an individual standing at the pump. Cause my car went from 45 to for me, it was 45 to 75. Yeah. And it was like a close to a 40, $40 jump. And then even just the other day I had to fill up on the European economy um, as military, we have subsidized gas, so we have the you know the benefit of filling up on our installation at closer to an American price. 
but I even had to fill up on the economy. And it was like for a little like my we drive a beamer that like gets really efficient gas mileage it was still 90 dollars, and i was choking yeah. you know and so it's it's experienced differently but like how do we reconcile these experiences that we're having and what's happening on the world stage when it feels like such a big conversation yeah and you you really have to take it one step at a time absolutely right so on, as an economist yes there you know i i recognize i know when i was in undergrad i had a hard time thinking about that sort of stuff. Yeah. So as an economist, the first question is, what is the direct effect? That will be the biggest effect. Right. Then we ask, what are the second order effects? Yeah. Will someone, you know, price of gas goes up. Yeah. People will probably be paying more and they may drive less. Right. Then we ask, well, what are they going to do instead? Maybe they substitute. Right. That might increase the cost of bikes. Because now people switch to bikes, bike demand goes up, bikes are more expensive. Well, now bikes are more expensive. What do people substitute? Maybe they walk. Now we have more pedestrians. Right. Um, then you could also ask, well, gas is more expensive. Maybe people don't buy as much food or they don't buy luxuries. Yep. So then the cost, the price of those things goes down. Right. Because there's less demand. So you get all of these other effects. Yeah. Those effects are going to be smaller than the initial effect. So I learned later on through years of experience yeah. that you should focus on the first effect. Yep. That's going to be your primary effect. Yep. The other effects will dampen it. Okay. But they won't get rid of it. Okay. Sometimes you'll have two primary effects that can cancel each other out. That right. does occur. Okay. But you should always ask yourself first, what's the direct effect of what's yeah. happening? Yeah, what exactly is going on here? Um, and it can be a lot, and, I, and we recognize that. Right. So you do have to spend time thinking through it, reading multiple articles about it to try and get a fuller picture right. of how people are changing their behavior. So I'm going to jump over to like our last question before we leave listeners with like any final ideas that we have on this conversation. But one of the conversations that we've had this week, which isn't directly related to like some of the economic conversation that we've had, but it's been a very valuable conversation, at least for me to kind of have this, you know, question answered is um, we've talked a lot about like reconciliation. Like I see this problem. I see what's wrong with it. I see this problem. I see this side. I see what's wrong with it. I see both sides. I don't necessarily know where I fit. How do I reconcile that I believe in this and want this outcome? And it's been a very, it's very philosophical in nature. But, you know, as we look at specifically, you know, the United States looking at our country, we've had, um, you know, politically, policy wise, we've got people swinging so far left and so far right. Like we're very polarized right now. And it's a very, it's turned into a very aggressive and inflammatory conversation with a lot of disinformation and just a lot happening there. Yeah. So how do we reconcile that so many people are upset with the system that we currently have? And there's a lot of people on both sides of the aisle who are like, fucking torch it. How do we reconcile how we relate to this system as a whole? Yeah. So I think people's criticisms are valid. If if people are angry, it, they may very well have a valid reason for doing it. Right. Um, the way they express it might not be 
necessarily valid. Like, going into conspiracy theories is like, okay, I I recognize that, like, your underlying problem is real. Yeah. But the way you're expressing it is bonkers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And unfortunately, the government, the government often does policy purely for political reasons rather than what an economist would consider you know a good economic rational reason for doing policy right um and that can make people mad and i think unfortunately a lot of people don't have the time or resources to necessarily understand the complexity a lot of, of a lot of the world's problems. Right. And so they look for someone to guide them. Okay. But you always have to ask yourself, what are the incentives of the person that you're choosing as your guide? Yeah, who you're following. Yeah. So who do you follow on Twitter? What are their incentives? What do they care about? Right. What are they getting from the relationship they have with you? So I always think about that when I read a news article. Right. I ask myself... Who are they? Um, what What is their article about? Who benefits from the article? Right. Who gets hurt by the article? And then does that align with, you know, my personal beliefs? Right. Right. Um, and you also have to say, you know, like you'll read an article and I can tell sometimes immediately, like, this person has an agenda. Right. They are benefiting in some way from this article. So how, what tip would you give to readers? Like how do you how do you as a reader decipher I, agenda? What do you yeah. look for? So I look for potentially monetary gain. Okay. Right. So we, we were talking about yeah. this earlier. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I said, you know, some people are all about creating outrage. The reason they benefit from outrage is that you keep coming back to them because you're outraged right. and you feel validated in yeah. that outrage by this person. Yep. But that means that their incentive is to always keep you outraged. Right. Because you'll keep coming back. They benefit from the system looking the same so that they can continue to yeah. be inflammatory. And they have no incentive to change the system. Because they benefit from riling up your feelings while the system doesn't change. Yeah. People couldn't see this because we had this we had a conversation over our coffee this morning before we even hopped on mic. And this was something that Andrew said, and I was like jumping up and down in the kitchen. Because I was like, oh my God. That makes so much sense. I'd never considered that because there's a few people that I follow on social media that are highly inflammatory on both sides of the aisle because I'm just curious, like, what are people saying? Like, what are people saying about any given issue? I don't like to, like, I don't like my media to be pigeonholed into my beliefs or my comfort zone. So we were um, jumping up and down. And that was one of the things that I thought was just so insightful. Yeah, we're on the last question. You were on the last question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we've got my my girlfriend Jill um, from college is also here, and she just walked in with a note saying, "I'm hungry." Checkbox. Am I? Are we almost done? Or yeah. checkbox? Should I snack? So yeah. that's what we're kind of chuckling over here, and I'm just not going to edit it out because you know this is like real life, and that's what yeah. we want to invite yeah. people into. Um, um, but yeah. So so the recommendation I like my parents asking this this same question. Like, right. How. Do I decipher information? Yeah. And the classic debate I think of is, um, I know this is going to be contentious for some people, but global warming. Yep. So we talk about climate change a lot. And my dad used to be, maybe he still is, um, 
he believes that climate change isn't necessarily human cause. And okay. that we should do something about it, but like he doesn't he believes that the people who do climate research are benefiting from it. Okay. And I'm like, well, yes, anyone doing research is benefiting from it because I keep my employment. Yeah, like you're still getting paid to do the work. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, well, they'll come up with technology and they can patent it and they'll benefit from this technology and this shift. And I'm like, okay, okay, but who benefits from the current system? ExxonMobil. Right. Who would you rather have? Right. And for some people, they like ExxonMobil. Right. Maybe it's their employer. So they benefit from that, yeah. the status quo. Yep. But for others of us, we might say, well, they're a giant corporation. Maybe I should take this climate skepticism with a grain of salt. Right. Because it benefits the current system. Would I like a new system or would I like the current system? Right. Which do I prefer? Right. And you have to ask yourself, who's benefiting? And what incentive do they have? Right. For ExxonMobil, muddy the water. Right. Because it keeps the status quo and it keeps them happy. Right. Right. So it's not always going to be easy. Yeah. And I do think that leads to a lot of the problems we have is that people don't necessarily have the time and energy to sift through all that information, all this information. Right. Whereas as an academic, honestly, I treat it as part of my job. Right. Because my students come with questions. Right. And I want to be able to answer those questions as effectively as possible. Right. So my media diet is quite extensive. Yeah, you know, I I'll mean, read, I kid you not, I'll read news articles for maybe four or five hours a day. Yeah, but I mean, it allows you to relate to your students in such a way that you know what they're talking about. Because if they come at you with a question, they're like, professor, please explain. And you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. It doesn't allow you to do that job as effectively because you yeah. want to be able to relate and answer those questions. And you very much, it's very evident that you care so much about your students. I mean, you're even able to take all of these complex ideas and it, and kind of water them down so that our listeners can participate in this conversation. Yeah. And I mean, so, that, that, that's my job. That's right? your job. It's to take complex topics and facilitate your learning. Right. Um, I recognize that even my students, they're not going to get A's. Right. But my goal is that you'll take something away. Right. And that you'll be a little more critical and that you'll think more about incentives. Yep. Because in economics, incentives, incentives, incentives. Yep. We always talk about yep. why do you do what you do? It's because you're incentivized to do it. Yep. If we change the incentives, we change what you do. Yep. At the end of the day. Right. And it happens, I think, at all levels, because even as you're saying this, I'm thinking to myself, man, I really do profit from the system being a total muck and I guess my end goal is that the system is so functional and so not amok that I like this platform goes out of business. Yeah. Like there is no there is no reason to continue to have it. Yeah. But until then, people are going to work around the system. They're going to have certain levels of incentive, but it's really important that the work still get done and we consider what is the incentive? Who is the beneficiary? How do I relate to yeah. those things? And a lot of times the way we approach things is inefficient, but that is a byproduct of the incentives that we are subject to. Absolutely. So economists are always talking about how can we make people's lives better yep. by changing the incentives yep. to get them to do 
what would actually be best for them. Um, so we were talking earlier, if you tax smokers, they bear the full burden of smoking. Right. Which means that they'll smoke less, and then all of us are subject to less secondhand smoke. Right. So it benefits us. Right. Right. But you have to think about what are the incentives right. and who's involved in this transaction. Right. Right. And that transaction may not always be monetary in nature. Right. Absolutely. So before we sign off, is there any last thoughts you'd like to share with listeners before we hop off? And we have gone through so much. So if the answer is no, that's okay too. Yeah. Um, oh, um, so I did one to the spell myth. Okay. Um, a lot of people, we, we were talking earlier about how a lot of military members go in the direction of like free markets and limited government. Yep. And there is this idea in the U.S. that markets are the best way to go for everything and markets are sort of infallible. Okay. Um, and it, it kind of goes back to the fact that people's understanding of economics really comes from like a high school class where they just learn basic supply and demand. Right. Price is where they cross. Right. Quantity is where they cross. Right. Where they intersect. Right. That's what we call perfect competition. Right. And perfect competition is has a lot of very restrictive assumptions. So in practice, it exists in very few markets. So really, the only ones I can really think of where that's going to work are markets for gold, silver, wheat, iron ore, things that are readily available in a lot of places around the world and are traded often. Okay. The reality is that we have product differentiation. Okay. Right? Why do you buy Nike? Because you like Nike. Right. And you associate them with something. Right. That means they have market power. They have the ability to charge you a price that is not the perfect competition price. Okay. Right? So perfect competition isn't really a thing. And even Adam Smith, who's considered like the father of economics, the guy who came up with the invisible hand. Okay. He recognized that markets aren't perfect. Okay. There is a role for government in pix- fixing those market imperfections. Okay. And I think a lot of people just focus on the invisible hand. But mm-hmm. The invisible hand really only works if we have perfect competition. Okay. If you have a monopoly, well, they're your only, they're the only seller. They're the only person you can buy from. Right. So people like might be like, well, you can vote with your dollars. Don't buy from them. But I need food. Right. So I'm gonna have to buy from you know Johnson and Johnson. Yeah. Whoever, yeah. Like yeah. Nabisco. Yeah. Or Nabisco, yeah. or you know, like I have to buy from these. Yeah. Large Tyson. <laughs> yeah. So I'm buying from them, and you'd be like, "Well, you can just spend your dollar elsewhere." But I'm like, I, "That's that's so impossible for me to do." Um, like I literally, that would require I drive to the next state to find some store that has right. what I want. For for example, and I can even give this one an example because I've had this debate with with a number of friends before kind of debating kind of that market component living in Missouri. Um, we only had Walmart as a grocery store. So I really, I, it was that, or I had to drive 90 miles to go get my grocery somewhere else. So I really was, if I wanted to eat chicken, I was really stuck with like Tyson. Like I, there was no like competent. I, 
and the thing was is like if I wanted to, and I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit but it truly like when we look at this like especially in some of these rural areas if I wanted to eat organic chicken I couldn't necessarily vote with my dollar because my vote with my dollar really was like you're either going to buy this chicken brand or you're not eating chicken they hadn't there that competition didn't exist so much or I'd regularly see um for instance like we when we had to get internet in our home in Missouri, there was a limited number of ports. All the ports were taken up. I couldn't get any other form of internet. But as someone who does the work that I do and has participated in, you know, different various types of work, I've always needed the internet. There's never been a time in my life where I haven't needed the internet to do my job. Yeah. But then I there was no competition, so the vote like you know and, I and this was a very big big problem during the pandemic. Yeah, the schools went online. Yep, and I and can't majority, just vote with my dollar because yeah, I don't have. You have to. I have no other I have option. To go to school. I have to participate this way, or I cannot participate at all. Yeah. And so, people will oftentimes think like, "Oh, just vote with your dollar." Okay, well, it's between I do what this monopoly says, or I don't participate at all, which then creates other economic issues. Yeah, like I'm not able to fully participate in society, even. Right. Because I can't have internet. Right. I, that means I can't apply for a job or I need to drive to the nearest library, which could be an hour away right. in order to apply because right. they don't take paper applications anymore. Right. Like it. I saw that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the Walmart supplied a lot of the Wi-Fi for students. I would regularly see students sitting outside with their back along like Walmart doing yeah. their homework because that was the only way that they could get the Internet. And there really was no other competition. Like, yeah. this yeah. is what you have. This is yeah. what we've invested. This is what you get. Yeah. And... A lot of small towns are dependent on, for instance, the dollar store or Dollar General. Yep. Those types of stores. Yep. Those stores, on a per unit basis, right, have among the highest profit margins of any company in the U.S. Interesting. Because they're the only grocery store. Oh, that makes sense. You know what? I get that. You have to okay. buy your food from there. Yep. They're, you're effectively a captive audience. You need food. Yep. But you have. So little options yep. that you end up paying more for your food than people in the city. Right? Well, and that it's it's such Which a is bonkers. It like, is totally bonkers, and I'm like trying so hard to like remain focused on our conversation because what I'm yeah. thinking there is like, oh my god, they're literally feeding the healthcare system because they're not providing healthy food. It's a whole yeah system yeah. as a whole system. Like, oh my gosh, that is such a a thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, and. You know, this also spills over into how we approach companies. Um, in the stock market, we tend to assume that the stock price is, you know, the equilibrium price. But it may not be. Things get inflated, right? Right. We, we've all seen bubbles before in right. most of our lifetime, uh, unless you're, like, listening to this podcast and you're 10. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but, like, these things happen. So market break down all the time right um and there are there are markets that have market power firms that can charge whatever they want knowing that you have no choice right and increasingly in the last 40 years we have just kind of rubber stamped a lot of this behavior um which i think has led to people getting a bit riled up because you know now we only have really three telecom providers because Sprint and T-Mobile merged. Right. Uh, Comcast and um, Time Warner merged. Right. Which 
means that we have even less options. Right. Which means they can charge us even more. Right. And it just feels like we don't have. It's limiting agency people's anymore. choices yeah. and agency and that sort of ability to self determine. Yeah. In that and way. if you consolidate the number of businesses that exist in a market, then those businesses also have market power over labor, which can also be, you know, take away your agency because now you're entirely dependent on this employer right. to earn a living wage. Right. And maybe they don't want to pay you that. Right. Um, and so it creates even more problems. Even more issues. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I cannot tell you how grateful I am. I mean, like, aside from the fact that we are friends, it is so meaningful both to me and I know the listeners to have the opportunity to hear about some of these things and have the conversation and listen in in from a perspective that's both, like, safe and explanatory in a way that, like, people feel like they can participate in the conversation. So I so appreciate that you've taken time out of like your day and your life to fly over to Germany and have this conversation so that people can listen in. Yeah, spring break. So. Yeah, spring break. Yeah. Who didn't? Who doesn't want to talk about the economy over spring break? Yeah. I think this is what aging looks like. All right, friends, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. If you loved what you listened to, please go ahead, like, share, comment, review. We love all of that stuff. And uh, if this interests you, please feel free to ask more questions. I can... Uh, certainly talk to Andrea and we can we can talk about it a little bit more so have a great day and thank you for listening in thank you for having me